Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week, we take a look at the texts, we talk about those texts, and then we offer up a special musical offering related to those texts. This week, for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, the texts include Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 5 through 9, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23, and the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. first reading for this Sunday comes from Jeremiah chapter 28 verses 5 through 9. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Haniah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But Listen now to this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. So this is garbage. This is hot garbage. <laughs> I it is so misleading, right? Like the whole like if you just read these 5 verses, you're left with the impression of wow, you know, once upon a time, you know, the prophets, they were real Debbie Downers. They just prophesied war and pestilence, but you prophesied peace, and that's really wonderful, Hananiah. Good good on you. And we'll see. We'll see the fruits of that. It'll be great. And, like, that's the opposite of what's happening. Like, if you read what happens before and you read what happens after, Jeremiah says, you all screwed up big time. God is mad. Babylon is coming. War is coming. You're going to be carried off and everything that you value will be gone and it's going to suck. So get used to it. And then Hananiah shows up and says, nah, I received a prophecy from God, and God said that God's going to break the yoke, it's only going to last for a hot second, and everything's going to be fine. And then you get Jeremiah who says, gosh, I sure hope you're right and I'm wrong, but, you know, we'll find out. And then the next thing happens is Hananiah drops dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just, which, which is not funny, but, like, not a good sign, right? Right, right. So like so if you're reading this if you want to be um not be disingenuous to the text and you're not preaching on this like maybe include a little note in the bulletin or do a little sermon b-side or something just to say like hey this is what's going on here this isn't all gumdrops and rainbows this is kind of crappy Yeah Yeah I mean it's Jeremiah here isn't saying yeah, Hananiah, you hit the nail on the head. Jeremiah here is saying, I'm not against peace. I'm all for peace. I would love for that to happen. 
also, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not what the prophets have said. That's not what I've said. That's not what God has said. And I guess we know prophets by what actually comes true, you know? Yep. So keep in mind, people, what I've said, what the prophets of the past have said, and what Hananiah here has said. And we'll just see what happens. Yeah. And then we see what happens. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And so, yeah. And I, I feel for Jeremiah. I really, really like that sentiment. And when you see the world around you just going to hell and things aren't going well and it looks like you're going to be going through a tough time you want to have that glass half full you know everything's going to be okay this will only last for a second we're going to be all right um and i i just i love that jeremiah is like i i hope you're right hananiah i really do i hope you're right and i'm wrong but this is what i heard and i guess we'll find out yeah yeah And like thinking about the things that we've been going through with COVID-19, with uh, the deaths of uh, the high profile deaths that have been or murders that have been uh, out on black lives, um, including George Floyd, most notably, and the responses to it, like there's a real temptation to say it's going to be okay. Just put your head down and it'll be over before you know it. But it might not be. We might Mm -hmm. have really hard work of dealing with the fallout of the racial and economic inequalities that um, that COVID-19 has revealed are such deep rifts in our society. We're going to have to deal with that. We can't just say, you know, it's going to be fine. It would be great if this was a catalyst moment and everything just goes well, but it might be tough work after. It's going to be tough, long work to address racial injustices and systemic racism and talking about policing policies and things like that. Like, it's not just going to be put your head down, the protests will be over in a week or so, and then we can get back to normal. Gosh, wouldn't that be wonderful, Hananiah? But I don't think so. We're going to find out. Yeah, but the trick here is, like, Hananiah is prophesying things that Hananiah doesn't control, whereas, like, in in your example, mm-hmm. there's a lot of white folk that can just put their head down, wait for it to blow over, and ignore mm-hmm. it. That's true, yeah. Um and that becomes less of a prophecy being correct. That becomes more of people actively disengaging with what God is doing in the world. Because even if you do put your head down, even if you do ignore it, the prophet has still stood before you and said, this is unjust. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, God acts. And, and the same's happened with Jeremiah throughout you know, this book and throughout these chapters where the people have ignored Jeremiah, where the people have wanted a different voice, where the people have put their head in the sand, and it doesn't really stop what God is proclaiming from happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's that's the connection, is the temptation to be like Hananiah, because he's giving a false prophecy. I mean, only one of them actually received the word of God, presumably. And so maybe that's what gets—that could be preached— to say like, this is our temptation to be like Hananiah and say, it's going to be fine. You know, just, just, it's going to get back to normal before you know it. Don't worry about it. And maybe the message that we need to hear is no, it's going to be tough and it's going to take hard work. 
to be Jeremiah, a call to repentance as opposed to Hananiah, a call to just get through it. Well, I, I think I think you're right in like the temptation is to be Hananiah or be Jeremiah, but I also find temptation in looking for Hananiah and looking for Jeremiah, mm-hmm. where I'm only looking for the voices that sound easy, that sound good, that sound comfortable, and I'm dismissing the voices that are crying out for justice, that are crying out for work, that are crying out for repentance. Mm-hmm. And why am I doing that? Is it really because that's what God wants? Is it really because that's what that is? Or is it because I just like what that voice is saying better? Yeah. And, you know, you talk about social media bubbles, that it's sort of by design that we um, friend people who share the same opinion as us and edify where we're already at uh, as opposed to others. Um, And that's a real challenge as well. I mean, that's not something that the people of Jeremiah and Hananiah's day had to deal with, but it's something that we have to deal with too. Uh, Sort Mm -hmm. of by design, we can just surround ourselves with Hananiah's and only hear that voice. Which, which, as we see here, is not a strictly social media phenomenon. That's a phenomenon that's been following humanity our whole lives long. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) We surround ourselves with the voices that we want to hear, not the voices of God, always. So, Dan, just to kind of follow verse nine a little bit have we been checking on the voices that we you and i and others are following to make sure that some of these things are coming true have we been checking on the validity of the things that we've been following uh say more about that what what do you mean what would that look like well um the the people who uh the ones that i'm following are voices that are crying out for justice repentance um and not an easy reconciliation, but for, in particular, white folk to really do the work of understanding their participation in systemic racism and using their position to change the systems themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are the voices I'm listening to, and I've been listening to them for a decade or two, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what has been most challenging to me is the fact that we have been, that this work has been engaged before and there have been outcries for justice. And then they just, they last for maybe a couple of months and you make a donation here or there and white people do that and maybe hold a workshop on anti-racism training for whatever. And then we kind of let up i think the the challenge for me is and by we and by we you mean white folk yes yes i do i do um i mean black and brown folk have been in this struggle for a long time we have we being white people we have the uh the privilege of choosing when it becomes our fight and for how long and you know you get tired and you duck out um and i get it it's exhausting it's tough um so I think that's what we've been seeing. I don't think that we've been listening to the Jeremiah's of our day when people say this is a long fight. You know, we need you in this fight for a long time. We need you to be committed. And, you know, we read the new Jim Crow and we get really um, impassioned. And then we do that work for a little while. And then 
you burn out and you walk away and then you kind of remember the next time there's a big outcry. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like, I don't know if you've ever watched people build a road, um, but like the, the scraping material that is used to take the road that used to be there up, especially mm-hmm. if they're sometimes they just pave over the road, but like if they're replacing the road, the scraping that uh, is used to take the, the old stuff up, it just goes incredibly slow. It's a very effective machine, but like it goes very, very slow and it shakes like everything around it. Um, there was one happening in front of our house, like, I don't know, last summer, two summers ago. Um, I think it was last summer. And like, I live in a brick house and the window panes were rattling, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like everything was shaking. And it was, this, this thing wasn't going fast, but it was going very purposeful and intentional. And it just, the road had no chance, right? There wasn't a, there, there wasn't a part of this where the road was like, no, we're just going to stay here. Nope. Out goes the road. And mm-hmm. so for me, when white folk and myself included from time to time have chosen the sin of ignoring this for a while uh, just to be comfortable or just because it's hard, that doesn't really mean that God's work isn't still moving forward. It doesn't mean that things aren't being shaken. It doesn't mean that work's not happening. Um, it just means that we're intentionally ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so what I would say is, I haven't seen the machine stop, which is where I see the profits come true. I haven't seen, you know, the cries for justice stop. I haven't seen the work stop. I haven't seen um, the small systemic changes stop. Even though I'm, many parts of my life and the uh, lives around me are trying to be resistant to it, mm-hmm. it hasn't stopped. You know, it's happening right in front of us, and so that is where I see verse nine come in. That's where I see the words of the prophet coming true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good to remember. That's kind of an encouraging thought too, though. Should we? Yes and no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Both and it's going, but it's going slow. Should we hop over to Romans? Yeah, I think it fits well. The second reading comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. So what advantage did 
did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. The advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Completely unrelated, but um, verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, sounds like a line that like an extraterrestrial would say, like in an old 90s movie with like a very like um, pixelated voice. Yes. Yeah. Just like the, the, the haughty E.T. or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yet, um, perhaps the difference between um, between our obedience to sin or our obedience to righteousness is that different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, perhaps uh, we're being spoken to in human terms because of our natural limitations is because, you know, the other things sound strange and foreign to us, almost incomprehensible. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. It's very weird. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I will say that um, this dovetails right into our conversation uh, from the first reading, right? Um, when we talk about our own sin and our propensity to simply ignore the issues of justice um, in the world, um, here comes Paul. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> Don't let mm-hmm. sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Um, and we can talk about that, can't we? Like inside of our physical beings, we have these passions for comfort these passions for ease, these passions for um, avoidance um, of the things that are tough and difficult, but also right and holy. Mm-hmm. I, I like these verses because I can actually feel in my body that discomfort and that tendency to avoid. Like I can sense in my body when I'm uncomfortable. Um, and I see inside of my own physical self avoidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like in your gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's more in my neck, in the back of my head, but like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, hmm. I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking about this passage a lot and the sort of the the crescendo that Paul gets to toward the end of like, what are you going to get out of this? Hmm. If you, you know, yoke yourselves to sin, then you're going to end up with death. If you yoke yourselves to God and God's righteousness, then you end up with eternal life. Um, And I think that's important to note too. Like, you engage in sin, you engage in selfishness, and we can go into what that looks like because you're going to get something out of it. Like you were saying, it could be comfort. It could be relative ease. It could be money. It could be status. It could be um, whatever. But there's something that you're going to get out of it. 
And I think that what Paul is doing here that's really cool is to lift up and say, yeah, all of that is nothing. That is all death. Mm. But to follow Christ, to love your enemies, to um, suffer for the sake of righteousness and goodness, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice for the sake of others, to um, show kindness and mercy and forgiveness as Christ has done for us, et cetera, et cetera, that that is that's where the goodness comes from, that that's eternal life. That's, that's the real stuff. And what's ironic about it all is you don't usually get immediate comfort or satisfaction to the passions or what have you. But this is the real stuff. Well, that's the, that's the trick, right? I mean, inside of our, inside of our sin, um, when we only say in the conversation, like, you know, those immediate comforts and those, uh, moments of ease, uh, those are your death. I think a lot of people look at us and like comfort ease. Those are my death. I think I'll risk it. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but the reality is like your comfort and your ease come by standing on the necks of people, uh, that don't deserve something like that. And when we realize mm-hmm. that, when we actually bring sin into the equation, like we, if we add sin to our lives, then we have this perceived comfort and ease. Then we could become uncomfortable with it. We actually have discomfort about reaching comfort that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think for Paul and for us, recognizing it's actually sin. It's not comfort. It's not ease. It's yeah. sin. Yeah, there's no neutrality. Yeah. There's no neutral position the way Paul presents it. Yeah. We're not, we're not just saying like good things are just harder to come by. We're saying these immediate things are actually sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To say that you are either a tool of sin or a tool of God's righteousness. There is no middle ground. There's no, you're just there, I think is really convicting and a little insulting either way you're a tool yes that's right (laughs) that could be your sermon title (laughs) everyone is a tool (laughs) yeah but like in all seriousness we do kind of get chopped down don't we like most I think most people live their lives assuming that they are in control, especially white folks, assuming that they're in control, like they have some kind of power or at least deserve to have some kind of power, some kind of control. And here for Paul, like the option isn't like be obedient to sin, be obedient to righteousness or just live your own life. Like those aren't the options. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. the, the third one isn't there. You are either in obedience to sin or you're in obedience to righteousness no matter what you do. If you think you're in control of your own life and you're doing things just by whatever you want to do, not thinking about the others, that's actually obedience to sin. Mm. Like you're not living your own life. You're just following whatever sin wants you to do. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Gospel time. Let's do it. The gospel for this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. 
Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Yeah. So this is coming right off of uh, the the much heavier doom and gloom passage that precedes it. Mm-hmm. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword, putting father against son, mother against daughter, et cetera, et cetera. And so that has a little, I think that changes the tone of this a little bit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it becomes more than uh, a mere platitude to say, yes, it's important to be welcoming. Um, this is, and again, maybe this fits in a little bit with our epistle reading of you've got a choice. Uh, the people that welcome you are uh, stand in stark contrast to those who chase you out of their towns and bring you before cor- courts and seek your life. Yeah. Help me out. What's the choice? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the choice is you can welcome the gospel or you can resist it. Hmm. There's not really, again, like it's, there's no real neutral position that you can take and just be like, oh, I'm just going to take a little bit of the gospel or just the parts that I like and the things that don't challenge me and what have you. It's no, I mean, there are those that will welcome the disciples, take you into their homes and all the others. There are those who say, yeah, not so much. And you shake the dust off your feet. But like, I don't know. It just, it feels to me that when you consider the larger context, those that don't provide safe lodging and a cup of cold water even in the midst of the rejection of the gospel, that it it feels like a complicity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this this moment of welcoming isn't like just a guide to good hospitality. Mm-hmm. Like this moment of welcoming is whoever welcomes me, I think, I think because of the verses before and after it is more accurately interpreted, whoever welcomes into their heart, soul, mind and strength. Mm-hmm. Whoever welcomes into their heart, soul, mind and strength, me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes into their heart, soul, mind, and strength, a prophet. Whoever welcomes into their heart, soul, mind, and strength, a righteous person. Mm -hmm. Or whoever welcomes into their heart, soul, mind, and strength, the action that I would take towards one of these little ones. This is where the reward is. This is where the eternal life is. Yeah. Yep. And that's... That's good too. Um, I, I like that you leaned into that first verse, the whoever welcomes you welcomes me part of it. Because I think that could be a route for a sermon as well. The if you want to see what it's like, who's actually who loves God is the one who loves their neighbor. And so how do we, 
I don't know, lift that up as well. But here, like, also, I mean, yes, and also in in this text, Jesus is saying the act of accepting these things is as important as the act of doing these things, mm-hmm. which is not to say the act of accepting these things is a substitute for the act of doing these things. Yeah. But it is to say the act of accepting these things is a very, very important moment. Like it's, it's not, it's not good enough to pay lip service to these things. It's not good enough to, to say yes and then not go. It's not good enough to, to ignore. Mm-hmm. Like it's really important that we accept these things as the truth of our lives. Like what the prophets are saying, what the righteous people are saying, what Christ is saying. And then in verse 42, to begin those actions inside of our own bodies. Mm-hmm. And I really like in verse 41, um, kind of the second part, whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person receive the reward of the righteous. I like it because that particular title, righteous person, isn't one that we can you know, shove into an ecclesial moment, <laughs> isn't mm-hmm. one that we can like simply ascribe uh, an already patterned authority, a righteous person can crop up anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we have to accept the righteous person wherever they come from. Hmm. And that especially works, I think, with the preceding thing about the people that you think are your friends and your family, it might end up being that they become your enemies. And it might be that your enemies become your friends and you're like, you will be surprised at what happens here. You will be surprised at who the righteous are and where they come from. Mm-hmm. I always worry about verse 42. How's come? Um, whoever gives even a cold, a cup of cold water uh, to one of these will, won't lose their reward. I've heard it and I've preached it, uh, admittedly, in a way that says, like, don't worry about it. You can just kind of dip your toes in the disciple waters, not actually have to follow Christ fully. You can just do a little thing, you know, say thank you at the gross uh, to the cashier at the grocery store and smile and like do that little thing. Even that is blessed by God. It is, but I, I fear that verses like this can get taken out of context and then just used to minimize or um, edify a minimal following of Christ. Well, and yeah, I, I could see that temptation where, where the cup of cold water becomes the maximum and not the minimum of our expectation I'll also say that maybe we just need to sit in that for a while. Like, what if someone's actions are just the cup of cold water? Is that despised? No. I mean, absolutely not. I, and I, I think it's a good thing, and I think it's a good thing to offer a cup of cold water and to smile at your cashier and say thank you and to, like, do those little things. I think that that's good. 
I just worry about it saying, that's all we got to do, folks. Just, I don't know. It's enough for the Christian to offer a bottle of water on a hot day to the person who's asking for money at the stoplight. And like, that's a good thing. Do that. That's great. But that's not where our discipleship ends. It could be where it starts, but I think sometimes we use it as an excuse to end it there. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I think the rest of the text is important. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's the rest of the text helps push against that idea of like, well, if we offer a cup of cold water, I guess we're satisfied. Mm -hmm. But also 42 allows people who are not doing this to start, you Mm -hmm. know, like there, there's a door for entry. It's not, it's not pick up this entire weight or nothing. Yeah. It can be pick this up and then take the next step and then take the next step and then take the next step. I also think there's something intimate about offering a cup of cold water. Like this isn't a bottle of water, right? Sure. Like not only, so I I think about uh, when I was growing up, um, there were some people that we knew and some people that we didn't that used to stop by our house um, when they were mowing ditches um, for the county or for the, for the township or whoever they were mowing for, they would stop by our house and ask to refill their water jug. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd be on these tractors with the side mounted mowers, just kind of going up and down. And some of them had cabs over and some of them didn't. So these people were just like burned to a crisp. Um, and they just stopped by and say like, hey, can I park the tractor in the shade? Cause we had a tree by uh, the, the front of the road and you know, drink water for a while. And so we'd fill it up with water. And if we had ice, we'd put ice in there, you know. And as a kid, like during the summer, that was always kind of a cool moment um, because to offer somebody a cup of cold water in this context or in any context, you are one, also offering them the cup. And we're assuming that these aren't disposable at the time. Uh, Two, you're offering the work that you did to get the water in the first place. Um, I didn't do much work because I walked inside and just grabbed stuff, but there was work involved with fetching water at this point. And three, you were usually sitting there as the person drank. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So my conversations were, must be hot out there. Like, you know, like the worst conversation. Yeah, sure, sure. You could bring up, but like... You got to know them a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's and they the start stop, of the relationship. Yeah, if you stop by often enough, like, um, like the opportunity for that grew. Um, the first, the first step of welcoming, isn't I'm going to know everything about you and I'm going to accept everything about you. The first step of welcoming is like, hey, we can be each other's presence for a while, um, mm. and that's part of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think. That could definitely be helpful to flesh out that scene a little bit of what does it look like to share a cup of water. Like, you're not just going to sit there in silence. You're going to talk. People are going to know that this is a safe place where I can go and get that cup of water. Yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. I haven't thought of it that way. (laughs) Mixtape? Sure. You know, Ben. That reminds me of a song. Nice. Well, 
would you like to go first or shall I? Uh, go for it. All right. I have chosen ELO, Electric Light Orchestra's Mr. Blue Sky. Nice. <laughs> um, I uh, honestly, the main reason I chose it, I think, comes out of the Jeremiah reading. Um, the Hananiah being all, oh, it's going to be fine. Everything's great. Hananiah's very Mr. Blue Sky. Um, and so nice to be with you. And uh, I think we have that real desire to enjoy the Mr. Blue Sky uh, type of theme. Uh, and maybe that fits in with the Romans reading as well of, you know, we... You're, you're trying to, the work of righteousness, being a tool of righteousness, isn't always glamorous and it isn't always easy. And we want the Mr. Blue Sky thing. And Paul kind of calls it out for being sin. And same with Matthew as well, um, to welcome somebody in. Uh, maybe that's where it could be a positive outlook on Mr. Blue Sky. I don't want to pick on Mr. Blue Sky. I love that song. It's really fun. Um but maybe that could be. We could be the Mr. Blue Sky for somebody if you want to run with it that way in the gospel to offer a cup of cold water, to offer shelter, to offer encouragement, uh, to be a part of the, the Jesus movement, even if it's first dipping our toes in and then getting into the deeper end. I love the opening lyrics are just great. Sun is shining in the sky. There ain't a cloud in sight. It stopped raining. Everybody's in the play. And don't you know, it's a beautiful new day. Hey, hey. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Yeah. And that like a song like this helps us find the energy and the hopefulness that I think these texts can have, mm -hmm. you know? They're not just like browbeating, like you guys are doing this wrong, you're terrible texts. These are like, these are coming from a place of love, you know, like, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but like, this is going to be good. That's the hope of it all. And I think that's uh, admittedly in my discussion of the text, I think I've gotten a little, a little too close to the works righteousy type of thing. Um, the reason we do all of this is because we are filled with hope because we've received those resurrection and forgiveness and kingdom of God promises out of grace that, that Mr. Blue Sky has already been um, proclaimed to us. And that's why we can be a part of this movement. Well, and like, yeah, for, for Lutherans, I, I think the reason that we we are so aware of our works righteous um, words and when they come out of us and, and why to be cautious of those is not because we find no use for works at all, but because we find so much work use for works. You know, we find such a high calling from God for what we should be and what's expected of us um, that we do expect to be following these things. We do expect to be doing these things. And also we're so aware of it because we we realize that the love of God is never predicated on these things. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. hey, on on a on a related note, uh, my mixtape um, comes from Matt Costa called Mister Pitiful. Um, <laughs> I like that we both picked Misters. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Um, uh, Mister Mister Pitiful is just kind of a fun song um, with this tension between the singer. 
and a distant friend. Um, so someone who is distant in a lot of different ways, um, whether, but all these ways seem to be ways of privilege, seem to be ways of um, money, seem to be ways of um, ability. And so uh, just about all the lines uh, really kind of speak to me uh, in the midst of in the midst of the text that we've been singing or hearing, but uh, the ones that really stand out, I just want to know how you've been. Don't make me feel bad that we're still friends, mulling it all over in my head. I hope that you see through your picket. I hope that you see through your big yard and white picket fence to make amends and still be friends. Still be my friend. Inside the text that we have, um, I, again, for Jeremiah and for Romans and for Matthew, um, there's not only calling us out to where we are, like, hey, you kind of seem to be in a big yard and white picket fence, not relating to the rest of the world as it actually is. There's also this call to like be in relationship, to be connected. Like there's the call of Matthew, like have the cup of cold water, like welcome these people into your life. There's the call of Romans, like, you know, be obedient to righteousness and live embodied in that fashion. And there's this there's this really neat relational thing with Jeremiah too and, and Hananiah, like, I want peace. I want these good things. Mm-hmm. But people I'm telling you, I've heard something else. And like out of love, I want to warn you. So I think I think this song really speaks to the relational aspects of of separation and where this longing to be united, to be one um, might come into play. Yeah, I like that a lot. Hearing the lyrics about the picket fence and the big yard and seeing past it all, Mm -hmm. especially reminds me of the Romans reading. Yeah. About those tools for sin if if that picket fence and that big yard is a barrier between each other then it is a a tool for sin as opposed to a tool for righteousness Mm -hmm. well well think that's going to do it for us over here at lectionary mixtape thank you for joining us and we will see you next week for the fifth sunday after pentecost yeah it's been fun thanks for your time we'll catch you next week Bye. Bye.